Welcome to Riding the Waves of Life, a Boundary Family Services podcast. Help your kids face their fears. You, you yes. have to. You have to help them face their fears. And if we're avoiding things, and I'll just talk about like when I talk about pot really quick right now for when mm-hmm. kids get older. Um, pot's such a complex one for young people to understand because in the moment, uh, for a lot of people, uh, it feels as though you're calmer using it, and and you are because it's a drug of disconnection, right? It right. floats you away a little bit from your emotional experience, and if you're feeling mm-hmm. really anxious, it kind of floats you away from that a little bit so that for a lot of people you don't feel it quite as strongly and so it's avoidance of it and as you would expect then the research is very clear and there's a huge lineage of research on this that using pot to avoid anxiety increases anxiety over yeah. time and I've seen this for years working with adolescents where uh, they start using it to cope with the stresses of high school, say when they're 14 or so. And then by the time they're 16 or 17, and maybe it's creating conflict in the home or it's creating problems with studying because of their memory when they're disconnected like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they stop using it. Um, it becomes so hard for them to manage the weight of the world. The world just crushes them because they've avoided lifting lighter weights moving right back to that time. Yeah. Well, yeah, so- I find that as an ongoing theme with anxiety is anything you do to avoid it makes it worse no matter what it is if you're doing something to avoid actually working through whatever your anxiety is telling you it's going to actually come yeah. back more powerful in the long run yeah always yeah. always and yeah. sometimes that's not a big deal if it's like venomous snakes because we don't see right. a lot of venomous snakes here so yeah. sure hang yeah. on to that whatever let it be powerful but for stuff you are encountering like in most places i suppose in canada like having a freak out response to seeing a bear, you're going to be just fine throughout your mm. life. You're not going to function in Rosalind. <laughs> no, I know. Well, we were on a, a hike and my body. son ran into a black bear. Like he went up ahead and I'm like, dude, there are bears. So, you know, like if you go up ahead, be aware that, you know, you're not with the group and he ran up ahead. <laughs> he ran into a black bear yeah. <laughs> and he came running back and his eyes were huge. And he's like, I saw a bear. <laughs> like yeah i told yeah how was that for you <laughs> uh those wonderful lessons that uh yeah. that only experience can t- really teach yeah. them powerfully <laughs> uh so the second big tip i'd say is be mindful and teach mindfulness and and what i mean by this is it, it can take all different forms but it's essentially helping kids learn to sit in their body and control mm-hmm. their body in the moment the most basic way that we do this tends to be breathing but uh teaching kids to breathe is really challenging it is um uh, And it's like the most misused skill in all of psychology because where parents tend to use it is when kids are freaking out. And like never in the history of humans, I I think, has anyone been freaking out and then had somebody with them be like, breathe. And then the person be like, oh, thank you so much. Like I will now adjust my breathing based on your request. Yeah. Uh, rather, Rather you just get this flustered. I have tried breathing. It's not, God, be helpful. Like you, you have this response and kids do that all all the time and Mm -hmm. so the key to breathing because it's still number one on this list for me because it is really important the key to breathing is that it's something that we teach kids to do when they're calm and it's something that we teach kids to do 
with some frequency uh, because it is a pathway we want their brain to learn to walk. We want their body to learn how to breathe in a way that's meaningful. And so if you look Mm -hmm. across all adults right now, there's a lot of research that shows uh, that most people are breathing too quickly and into their chest and not breathing deep enough. And so the way that we teach kids to do this, the easiest way I've found is to say, put a hand on your chest and Mm -hmm. a hand on your stomach. And everyone who's listening, try this now. Uh, And just put a hand on your chest and a hand on your stomach and pay attention to which hand moves as you breathe. And what most people will find is that the hand on your chest uh, is moving in and out. And so what you want to do to breathe in a way that's going to help you calm down is you want to keep that hand on your chest still and push that air all the way down into your belly. I would say for for this to become a meaningful skill for kids, you want to be practicing it at least twice a day. Mm -hmm. And there are all sorts of sneaky ways you can do it with little kids, like turn it into a game, like have them put a stuffed animal on their chest and one on their stomach and say, the one on your stomach needs to sleep. So keep him still, but I want you to give the one on your tummy a ride. Right. So keep the one on your chest still and give the one on your tummy a big ride. So push them as high up as you can and now let them all the way down as you breathe out. Uh, And so forcing kids to be mindful about their breathing, learning to slow it down and then to learn to breathe deeply is really Mm -hmm. important but only doing it when they're calm. And if you've taught them to do it when they're calm, then they'll naturally do it better when they're stressed. And then they'll also uh, be calming themselves with their breathing through the day so that they're less likely to get to those overwhelmed places. And so learning to breathe is really important. Yeah, a favorite Uh, one I use with my son is the four, seven, eight breathing because then they get to concentrate on the counting while they're breathing which was helpful for him. It kind of engages, engages the brain a bit to kind of distract. And then you're concentrating on the breathing and the counting at the same time. Yeah. Four, seven, eight has always been my favorite too. And I I think that's a really natural one because extending that exhale uh, Mm. is so calming for a lot of people. There's all sorts of variations of that. Oh, so many. Through through yoga, people are familiar with different ones like box breathing and Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's lots of different breathing practices out there. Like yoga nidra, I think it is. Uh, All sorts of different breathing stuff that is available to people. But the name of the game is to make the breathing more mindful. So you're more aware of doing it to Mm -hmm. slow it down and to breathe deeper. If you're doing those three things, whatever you're finding is probably going to be helpful in my opinion. But yeah, yeah, four, seven, eight's my favorite. And, and then for teaching, hand on the chest, hand on the stomach. I think it's such an easy thing to do, and it tells you so much about your breathing. Yeah. Uh, next would be relaxation. As kids are calm, we help them learn to relax their muscles, especially for like really kids who are really tense a lot of the time, teaching them to let their muscles go. And there's all sorts of things you can do depending on the age. Like you could go with a more formal progressive muscle relaxation, which if you Google progressive muscle relaxation, you can find lots of scripts for this, but it's essentially moving through all the muscle groups on the body and you tense it really tight and then you release the muscle. And Doing this with kids is similar to doing body scans with them, which is another mindfulness exercise of where you tense, where you lose, now release those muscles. Super helpful for kids to learn to relax. Again, it's helping them get control of that physiological system in their body a little bit better. For little, little kids, I like doing like the cooked spaghetti, uncooked spaghetti with them. That game can be really good of like really cook the spaghetti, let yourself go really wiggly and loose and now really tight. That can be a really fun thing to do with kids as well as a great way to teach them 
to relax their muscles. Yeah. Teaching kids mindful practices. Oftentimes we have to do this sneaky. Uh, I've always said that one of my favorite mindful games with kids is staring contests. Love this with my own child because when you're having a staring contest with someone, you are nowhere else except for having that staring contest, trying yeah. to hold your eyes open. You are in the moment. And so it's a really <laughs> fun, easy way for kids to learn to be in the moment. And you can be sneaky in those moments too about asking kids stuff about what's going on in their bodies right, right. now. Like w- when they're staring at you, like, do you feel your eyes getting dry and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which can also be a way to psych them out and win, but, <laughs> but also a way for them to be more aware. Uh, yeah. My favorite, my favorite mindfulness with kids, so is taken from the trauma approach uh, or the trauma five, four, three, two, one grounding. But with kids, I always simplify it and I just do five sounds. Sounds are a really easy right. thing, I think, for kids to focus on compared to you know imagining, because like imagining a taste is not something that a lot of kids will do that easily. No, when you're doing like a full five, four, three, two, one of all five senses, you're mm-hmm. going to go through like colors, textures, all of them. And I find it's easier for kids of just five or 10 sounds. Like I want you to close your eyes and try to find 10 sounds in this room right now. And that's a really easy mindfulness and grounding exercise to do to get kids back into their body right now. Like for kids who are really freaking out, it's a really good one to just be like, close your eyes. I want you to try to pick out five sounds. That's a great way to bring them back to their body really fast. Yeah. Yeah. And in my own experience, like, cause I've even used just sounds with kids do, doing some pretty intense trauma work. And I found it, it's worked really well to the ground because yeah. grounding becomes so important uh, when you're dealing with post-traumatic stress to when people are rolling into these really intense uh, responsive body feelings related to the trauma. And so to mm. try to bring them out of that pretty quick, uh, is really important. And so, yeah, yeah, using sounds can be really good or uh, sometimes music, if they're calm Mm -hmm. enough, we'll use music as another way, which is also sound, obviously. Yeah. So teaching mindfulness to kids, any way we can teach them mindfulness for kids who can tolerate it. uh, So good getting them to do like meditative stuff, Mm -hmm. like even like meditative scripts before bed. So helpful for them to be able to sit in their bodies in the moment and learn to kind of calm themselves down. And there's so many awesome ones on YouTube that you can just kind of click on and it can be nice and calming. If, if in the moment you're not, you don't really know a lot about it. If you, if there's so many kids ones on YouTube that they have some really interesting creative ones that are really good for, they have ones just for bedtime, ones for during the day. Yeah. Oh, and a ton of apps too. There's a lot of apps apps. right now for mindfulness and like there's kids mindfulness apps, like two minute mindfulness, like, and a lot of them are really good. There's Mm -hmm. also really good breathing apps too. And yeah, I mean, even, even like the Apple watch has a built-in breathing uh, program on it. Like there's so many resources now to help people learn. Well, I mean, it goes to show how needed it is. If all of these big corporations are like, Oh, we need to get on this bus. (laughs) right oh there's so many and a lot of them are kind of cross-marketed as bedtime sleep solutions too which which also speaks to you know that role of helping kids calm to get them to sleep yeah uh so number three for me uh in helping kids with anxiety is help children explore their emotional experiences and so when we're doing this we're helping kids understand that their fear is okay it's okay to have fear uh and helping them realize that their fears 
good for them, but then also talking about the places where it gets in the way for us mm-hmm. and being really open about how we can overcome it with them, which is, you yeah. know, let it, letting them know, know that I know this is really hard for you and overwhelming, but if we don't go to school, it's going to be a lot harder and that anxiety is going to build. And I know yeah. you can go to school and be safe. It's just going to take a lot of practice and you may not understand that now. We're just going to need to go but over time. And so helping them work through that. We also don't do that when kids are overwhelmed. We don't try to talk to them like that when they're overwhelmed. We wait for them to calm down. We wait for after the anxiety, like uh, especially like when kids have been exposed to something successfully, we really Mm -hmm. want to take the opportunity to run them through that. I do this all the time in my work with teenagers who are like, but my anxiety is still the worst. And you're like, well, no, because when I first met with you, you weren't going to school. How many days did you go to school this week? Well, all week, but I was still scared of the test. And it was like, yeah, but you went to school and you're doing a lot better. And so Helping kids both say, you know, you were so scared to go to school today and you went to school. How was it when you got to school? Oh, well, you know, it wasn't that bad because I met up with my friend and then we just had a good time, which for most kids, that anticipatory anxiety is the worst part. So our our strategy there is we just constantly are doing that collecting after they've had the exposure. We don't want it to be like overbearing to them. We just kind of really quickly hit on it each day again it's that frequency thing yeah. like yeah you were super scared to go to school you did it and you did okay or last night i'm really proud you were able to go to sleep without the the door open uh, and i know that was really hard for you but you were able to do it and you were able to fall asleep that's great yeah, Make yeah it give quick. a little bit of that psychoeducation too of like yeah and if if you're able to keep doing this I, you may not be able to see it now but it will get easier like my, my son was worried about going fishing <laughs> Because apparently the time before there was another boat in the lake and he saw them dumping something in the lake and it was going to be, it was chemicals and it was going to eat the boat. And (laughs) I wasn't there. My husband was there. So then we went fishing. After the science kit, you were doomed. Everything was chemicals. I was so doomed after the science kit. I was like, oh, those chemicals again. So then he insisted that I come the next time and we went to the same lake. And we had to talk about it beforehand because he was avoiding and we talked about avoidance and all those things. And so we get to the lake and the exact same people that were at the lake, like exact, were at the lake again. (laughs) (laughs) Still dumping the same chemicals. But yeah, my husband like totally oblivious goes, oh, look it, the exact same people are here. Those people were the same ones that were on the dock and there's the exact same boat out in the lake. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and I, I think that's my... even the same. I think that's even the same big metal drum with a skull yeah. and crossbones on it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. With well, green sludge coming out. Yeah. <laughs> like, here we go. I can feel the tenseness coming off my son in the backseat. And so we get out and you know what? To his credit, like got in the boat. We had a really fun time fishing. We got in the car. And I did a simple, hey, was that, did you have fun? And he's like, I did have fun. And it was like totally different from last time. Hey, he goes, yeah, it was. And that was it. Yeah. I did it. But if I had continued on that thread, it might've continued to kind of negate the positivity of what happened there. So it's always good to keep it short and sweet. Well, it also brings up an interesting point too, about that, the first tip around exposure, which is that, Uh, the exposure isn't always to the thing they're afraid of. It's often to the thing they're avoiding. Yeah. Right. Because sometimes parents are like, well, how the heck do I target 
you know, a, a fear of vomiting or whatever it is that's pretty random. And it's like, yeah. well, you don't need to. Like, you, do, you don't need to take them into an environment where people are projectile vomiting everywhere. Yeah. Rather, where is it getting in the way? And if it's, well, I don't want to go in a car in case someone gets car sick and then they might vomit, which is actually a fairly common fear in kids, believe it or not. I've heard um, of that fear. I have. I was like, well, that's interesting. Yeah. I believe it's emetophobia, yeah. uh, you know, going back again to these phobia yes. names. I do know that one. So for that, it's like, it's not necessarily about exposing them to all shades of vomit, but right. rather if the thing they're avoiding is the car rides, that's what you're exposing them to. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's where you're going to target your exposures is around the avoidance. And that's when we're looking at how dysfunctional or when is anxiety problematic? Yeah. It's when the avoidance of something gets in the way of them living their life in a rewarding way and doing the yeah. things that they need to do. So that's where we look at those places where they're avoiding things and it's causing problems and we create exposure to those things. Yeah. So the fourth thing I would say is direct from attachment theory, which we could again, spend a whole bunch of time talking about, but it's create a secure base because much like, you know, I talked about that funny split between uh, gendered brains and parenting. There is this attachment uh, cycle where parents push kids to experience the world, but then are a safe base to hold kids when they're totally overwhelmed. And no matter what age the child is, I think for parents to be able to create that situation where they're both able to encourage kids to experience things, uh, as well as helping them to be able to calm when they're dysregulated. And I mean, this ties in so much to so many of these big fears we've been talking about, like bedtime, yeah. right? Like to be able to be a safe person to talk to about your fears, but also to be able to be somebody who can then be encouraging and say, you're going to be safe. I believe you can do this. And it's going to be good for you in the mm -hmm. long run to be able to face these fears. And so, you know, some of the, I think the things to watch out for that could be a problem in creating a secure base is how our own parental uh, emotions in those moments. So again, it goes back to the freeze, flight, or fight. Parents respond in that way to their kids often, mm -hmm. and kids feel it as rejecting, right? right? That, you know, when a, when a kid, um, comes home and they're like oh my gosh this other person was so mean to me I can never go back to school they're the worst and when a parent says well that's fine you've got other friends you know that that can be seen as that's not being a secure base being a secure base at that moment would be more uh, it sounds like that was pretty painful for mm -hmm. you let's talk about it and being able to sit with them and hold those emotions in yeah. those moments I think it's really important but also being able to not just stay in that place where you're holding the emotion forever and I will shield mm -hmm. you from the world, but being like, yeah, that's really overwhelming. But I, I believe this is something that you can learn to manage safely and, yeah. and, you know, instilling that confidence in kids and pushing them to experience the world. It's so funny, like, well, not funny at all, but when I work with like separation anxiety, so mm -hmm. much of the work we often end up doing is around parents feeling that their kids will do okay when they're there. Right, Because, right? you know, you often hear in these scenarios of like, but you don't know uh, how strong they're fighting against this. You don't, you're not in my mm -hmm. house. You don't see how overwhelmed they are. Like trying to convince us. And, and it's true. Like I, and, and I don't want to discredit that because I'm never in the, the home with a parent every morning. And I know what that's like being a parent myself and that nobody mm -hmm. else truly knows what it's like. But at the same time, yeah. like if we're somebody who's like, man, they are so overwhelmed, I don't think they can handle this. 
then it's going to be extra hard for them to handle it rather than us being able to get to a place where like, this is really hard, but I think they can do it. And I think it will be good for them. Yeah. uh, Really important. Having the confidence in yourself to have the confidence in your kid. So my number five is to be arousal aware. Uh, And so this goes back to talking about, you know, we can tie in the bear metaphor here. We we can tie in that freeze, uh, flight or fight response in people, but be aware of how that internal arousal system in your child is acting in that moment and, and actually plan to manage anxiety sometimes based on that. And so this is around stuff like digital media, like if getting out the door and going to a place is going to be a problem, being aware that for a lot of children, even playing an exciting video game uh, 30 or 40 minutes before that might not be enough time for them to downregulate and calm before they go into that anxiety provoking right. experience. And it's going to be harder for them. And, and I, you know, you see this sometimes like parents at a dentist office of like, oh, I just want them to come down and mm. whatever. So I'll give them my phone. But when you look at that from an arousal perspective, it's actually going to make the anxiety more challenging. Right for the child in that moment. And so part of this is knowing your child and how they respond to these situations, because there are some kids that absolutely can calm down after playing a video game quite quick. There are other kids that, I mean, you, you know that an hour after the video game, they're still yeah. recreating the scenario from the video game and in the full excitement of that video game. And it's going to be very hard for them. And so playing video games or watching exciting media for these kids directly before mm-hmm. bed is probably a bad idea if they're scared of going to bed uh, before going to school. And also for kids who, you know, have been worked up and been rough housing with a sibling, like sometimes if you know you have to transition to a different activity, you're going to do yourself a lot of favors if you take 20 minutes before you do that to sit down and read with them or do something right. that you know at first, they're going to be like, oh, I don't want to read right now. Yeah. And they push away from it. And so you just kind of read parallel until they their body calms down enough that they sit next to yeah. you, like doing that work to let that slow calming arc happen. Uh, let them sit in their boredom for 10 minutes till they finally start drawing a little and then draw a lot because now they're calm enough to actually do it. Mm-hmm. it. It's funny when you watch kids after they come out of these high stim experiences, you know, at first they just won't engage in common activities and then yeah. they're just slowly like getting into cold water. They, and then after that, it's like, Hey, it's time to stop drawing. We have to go. And they're like, Oh, I don't want to stop. Yeah. But taking the time to be aware of where they're at and help them calm down before these exciting experiences is going to be really helpful for their nervous systems to, to be able to do it. Obviously avoid caffeine. Yes. I have a terrible story from early in my career of a parent who came in and um, they were convinced their child had bipolar. It was, we go through phases in mental health. And at the time there was a lot of writing about childhood bipolar and they said, Mm -hmm. yeah, my child is bipolar. And, so I was fully prepared to talk them out of their Google diagnoses. And um, right. as they were describing what was going on for their child, you know, there was about a week long period every so often where they were staying up all night and super goal directed behavior. And in my head, I was like, oh man, this might actually be a case of childhood bipolar, but it wasn't really getting in the way of functioning too much. So I had the flexibility of being able to chart it and get them to monitor right. it, which is something we often do with stuff, especially bipolar around, let's take a look at their energy levels, their sleep, and let's see if we can look at this pattern over the month. And so they came back six weeks later and sure enough, there was this week 
where the sleep was horrible, goal-directed behaviors were really high. Uh, they seemed to be really energized and euphoric throughout the night, especially. And so picking away at this week, it was like, well, what, what was different about this week? Was there anything different in the family? And the parent was like, oh, I don't think so. Well, except that that was my late week. And so I work at Tim Hortons and I get home late every night that week. And if they're good, I was giving them a large ice cap when I got home from work. Oh my <laughs> and God. So, <laughs> yeah. And so trying to be like a, a gentle clinician and be like, hey, let's try an experiment over the next uh, mm-hmm. couple of months why don't we not give them an account <laughs> when you get home and let's see, let's see if that changes anything. Yeah. Right. Cause you know, we tend to know that caffeine's a stimulant and it mm. can make sleep more challenging for kids. So let's just try to knock that out and see if it changes anything. And sure enough, a full disappearance as one would expect <laughs> of what appeared to be bipolar. Oh man. Yes. yes. So being aware of these mm-hmm. things that are, can stimulate or be stimulants in the time, digital media, caffeine, high sugar things. Like this is kind of that being arousal aware. Also recognizing if a child's getting ramped up, being able to stop it before it explodes. And right. no, it's like you mentioned before, of if I put a little bit of time in here to calming, it's gonna save mm-hmm. a whole lot of time on the back end of the family not you know, needing to cancel Christmas for three decades right. because of how things have unfolded. <laughs> Yeah. So really quickly, what do we do when kids freak out? Because this is tied into anxiety too. Again, when you push a child to do something that they're afraid of doing, the final stage in that when they feel trapped and have to do it is this fight response. And sometimes that fight response shows up as irritability and frustration and calling their sibling names. But sometimes it shows up as a full-blown meltdown, especially when we're talking about uh, something that's really frightening for somebody. And so I always use the acronym CALM. And this again goes back to what would you do if you're standing in front of a bear? And so the C stands for change or control the situation, which is usually to reduce the amount of stimulation in the area, especially in the periphery. Like if you're staring at a bear and you want to calm down, the first thing that you'd probably need is the bear to not be there. Right. And then the next thing that you'd need is if there's a lot of movement in your periphery, uh, like imagine, you know, you're walking at night and all of a sudden you get startled. Now you're kind of fixated on all the little sounds and movements in the periphery and they just keep that arousal high. And the same is true for kids who are overwhelmed. Their brain is now just like this. It's really sucked into all the stimulation around them. And so the more you can limit peripheral Uh, stimulation when kids are freaking out, the better you're going to be able to set the stage for calming them down. Like if there's a lot of kids running around in the room, even if there's like a radio or a TV or something on, being able to shut that off while you're helping kids calm down is going to help them calm down quicker. If they're one in a big group of people, sometimes if you've got the luxury of having a space where they can just be on their own with you, it's also really going to help them calm down a lot quicker. The A in calm stands for allow time. Remember that freaking out is a physiological response. There's nothing you can say once a kid that's freaked out that's all of a sudden just going to suck all those hormones back up in the body. It's going to take time. And so creating a safe place and giving the flexibility of them to have time to calm down is going to allow them to do it a little bit quicker, uh, paradoxically, a lot of the time. Because I think if we're rushed of like, but we've got to get out the door and we've got to do this thing. Like you can't act like this. If you keep acting like this, Mm -hmm. and that's usually what parents do uh, when we're, when we don't have time is we, we, we use this like 
a disciplined carrot on a stick thing. Whereas right. a parent, you're like, oh man, how far can I stretch this uh, to finally find something that cracks through and gets yeah. them to stop what they're doing? And you like, you know, with most kids at, at a certain age, it just becomes their phone, right? Yeah. Uh, you're like, okay, keep it up. And you don't have your phone for the rest of the day. Right. Like, that seems to be where parents settle on. But when a kid's freaking out, like, what do they say when you say that to them? They usually say, fine. I don't care. Whatever. I don't want my yeah. phone. Yeah. <laughs> right. When you're like, that's insane. Like you mm. absolutely want your phone more than anything in the world, but that's that freaking out brain. Right. Yeah. So slowing down, allowing more time for it and less talk. So that's what the L stands for is less talk when somebody's freaking out. Uh, if you're going to talk to them, you want it to be really general, something mm. like I'm here for you. I love you. I want to be able to support you. If there is something I can do that would be helpful for you, let me know how I can do that to support you. We don't want to, if we are giving them choices, we want them to be really simple choices. And I know this for people who are really well-versed in collaborative problem solving, that that school of thought from like Ross Green. And um, now I believe it's uh, Stuart Ablon who took over that. And I think, anyways... Uh, it rubs up a little bit against that in that when kids are overwhelmed, we actually don't necessarily, we want them to feel like they have flexibility to move. But if it's a a big choice that we need them to make in the moment, their brain is just going to feel fried to do that. And it's going to increase the arousal. And so if we notice that they can't make a decision around something, and especially if it's around safety of like, I know you're freaking out, but we can't do that here. So Mm -hmm. we either need to be in your room or somewhere else. Where do you want to go? And if they can't make that decision in that moment, then we can make it for them and say, okay, well, uh, we can't do that here. So we're going to need to move to your room. And what I found is when we make that choice for kids, if they would prefer the alternative, they'll often correct us in that moment. Like, no, 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 no. I just want to go outside. I'll just go outside. And it's like, okay, great. Let's go outside. We just can't be here. I want to help you, but we can't do that here. Yeah. Or they're um, so aroused that they don't even know what they want. And then so they're going to hate you no matter yeah. what you do, but you do it for them. And once they've calmed down, they're actually happier that they're in the other space, but they just couldn't process yeah. it at the time. Yeah. And so the M is movement and movement in a couple of ways, like move, movement in the most uh, literal sense of like keeping the body moving. Because if if you try to stop somebody from moving when they're overwhelmed, their brain does not <laughs> yeah. feel comfortable with that mm-hmm. because everything in you is designed to move. It's designed to run. It's designed to fight. It's designed to do something. And so when we say like, just sit down until we figure this out, right. like that's going to be very hard for them in the moment versus if you can kind of find a safe way to keep people moving and walking or do something active while kids are freaking out or do something active next to them while they're freaking out, like you start playing Lego yeah. parallel to them to encourage them to keep moving, then you're going to help them calm down a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. And then also moving, movement in the less uh, literal sense, but movement of continuing to move towards but slowly towards the thing you were trying to do like if you're trying to get out and do something the absolute worst in those moments is if you reach that standstill like fine we're not going you're in your room all day or whatever yes like that that's not good for anyone no um if you can just keep slowly getting out the door even though they're overwhelmed then you'll find once they're off and 
doing the thing, if you're able to do that, it's going to help them calm down a lot quicker. And right. if you avoid that stall out stalemate where they're in the room or whatever, and, and um, everybody's mad and nothing's just, good. No. And it just keeps yeah. swirling and swirling yeah. and building yeah. itself. But if you can keep moving kids, this is another thing that's great about their brains is they're so in the moment that if you take them out of the moment they were in, that they were uncomfortable in, sometimes they can adjust to the next moment that they now see in front of them right. pretty easily. Right. These are those hilarious, like I joke with, you know, and Roslyn so fixated on skiing, but I joke with parents here that, you know, parents wake up really excited and full of energy for the ski day. And then by the time they get to the ski hill, they're done. They're burnt out. <laughs> yeah. It's their kids who are like, let's ski forever. And the parents are like, I don't even know how long I can do this. This was supposed to be fun. We're just trying to do something fun. <laughs> like we are having fun Ow. now <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, so those are those are my basics on when kids freak out if we're using consequences we're keeping them immediate and natural we have to remember that you know parents are always like we think that that carrot to turn kids around is if we increase like the intensity of the punishment right. and so parents will oftentimes be like fine a week without your phone two weeks without your phone right. three weeks without your phone but like that time doesn't mean anything no. to kids afterwards and then it doesn't give them opportunities to learn like you're just you end up with just as much change and more opportunity for growth if you just keep it really brief and say okay yeah. uh well for the rest of the night you won't be on your phone but tomorrow we can reset like yeah so keep the consequences really immediate and natural i've worked with parents over the years that they'll come in and be like well they don't have their xbox till next spring and like how, right. how long do you think after the punishment kids are still learning from the punishment yeah. like they're they're not really it's quite immediate for them and so we do everyone a favor when we give more opportunities to practice especially if it's like well you used your xbox or phone or whatever incorrectly so now you don't get it for a year that's a year of missed opportunity to yeah. learn how to use it correctly because again yeah. kids learn but, through doing and yeah practice. well and that's punishment versus discipline right because they're not going to learn anything yeah with with the long distance one that's a punishment versus a disciplinary action for sure yeah and it's it's also different to sometimes when we provide kids an opportunity to test their ability to manage we mm. realize that it was too much for them and yeah. in that case it's less of a punishment and more of a you know I thought this was something we could handle right now but it yeah. turns out it's actually not this isn't this isn't me getting you in trouble this is just me saying that we're going to have to revisit this in the future. Yeah. But for now, I think it's a little too much for you to have this. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. do the, and now we move on to something else. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll move our focus because we don't need that anymore. We're okay. Is that science yeah. experiment still there? Let's get working on that today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you'll ever touch it again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else we could talk about with COVID and anxiety. I feel like right. a lot of that's been talked about. I've, I feel like for parents with COVID and with everything else in the world, we live in an increasingly negative world. One, one tip I've given for parents throughout COVID is like learn to shut off a little bit more than right. we did before, because we have this, there's this social psychology theory of, of uh, negativity bias, where mm -hmm. again, like as humans, it was more beneficial for us throughout the ages to pay attention to things that were negative because negative things potentially meant we could die or were a big right. problem for us. And yeah. 
obviously news knows this i I don't know if you've ever watched fox news but they're very aware of this (laughs) i've stayed away Uh, from fox news (laughs) but i've heard stories yeah and i you know we can politicize it and throw darts at them but all news does it oh yes Um, it doesn't discriminate really they're just a lot more flagrant about their their way of pushing it right but everybody has their bias constantly stirring a hornet's nest of negativity and and you know with covid i I think this was like duplicated because here we had this very real generalized anxiety around the world around us yeah Uh, and so people were just fixated on how many people have covid in my area what are the numbers provincially right now what's the death rate yeah Um, you know and then there's this now we've got this who's vaccinated who's not vaccinated oh, what does that mean yeah uh, there's all these huge social stresses right now we're going back to this like tribalism of mm-hmm. my group is good and their group is the worst and yeah uh it's just so much it feeds into our the overall experience of neg- negativity and, and uh, uh, anxiety and kids mm-hmm. feel that and so for a lot of, especially parents, I'd say be informed, but also know when to shut off. And that's right. going to help the anxiety in the home to shut it off, get off of the constant Facebook arguing. And you don't need to read all 100 comments on that <laughs> Facebook article you were reading. Like, just stop. Yeah, Let the thread go. doesn't get any better. <laughs> no, it's not going to help you. No. For some kids, initially, there was this huge reduction in demands, especially like the social anxiety kids, like Mm -hmm. coming into COVID, they were like, this is great. I wish we'd always done this. You mean you don't have to go to school? Yeah, Uh, Their anxiety (laughs) got so much worse over COVID and we knew that was going to happen and it did happen. Like the anxiety that we see now working with youth, there's so much more of it, uh, I I think. But maybe less now. I think right when kids were getting back to school, it was a lot of work for Mm -hmm. a lot of kids uh, Mm -hmm. after that long of avoidance. But, you know, being aware of those places right now where if if sport or whatever has been disrupted, there might be places where there has been this just natural societal avoidance built in and know it's going to be tougher, but the more we can kind of build kids into those things again, the better for their anxiety. Right. For some kids, they lost stuff that was helping them cope, like exercise and stuff like that. Yeah. And so being aware that, you know, if organized sports were their only way of accomplishing that, you might have to build it into other places now. Yeah. Unless, I mean, a lot of, I know, organized sports are coming back. So a lot of that's kind of old news. Right. Uh, I've already talked about caffeine. I've already Mm -hmm. talked a little bit about pot. I've already talked about digital media. It's always hyper arousing. Yeah. Video games, you know, not all video games are are created equal. I mentioned Minecraft before. There's a huge difference between Minecraft and Fortnite. Oh, Uh, yeah. (laughs) I've seen, I've seen kids fall asleep playing Minecraft, like Minecraft. Like if you're going to pick a game on an arousal scale, uh, you know, Minecraft is a whole different ball game. Yeah. And and I think any of these building creative games are obviously going to be less uh, stimulating than a combat. So, so be aware of that. And, you know, if planning digital media time for kids, just be aware that all games are not created equal. And one round of Fortnite might have the same effect of two hours of Minecraft, not right. recommending huge stints of anything, but no, but yeah. yes, just to have the juxtaposition of like these, these tamer games might be better if you have a higher arousal kid that uh, any sort of screen kind of makes their brains go a little bit wild. 
because like you said, yeah. not all children are built equal as far as how much um, screen they can handle and what type, right? Some kids, it's not a big deal. Whereas other kids, you know, they watch like half an hour of screen and they go off the wall when they're done. Um, it just is knowing your child and what their levels yeah. are at. Yeah. And so, and for those kids, I would also, you know, much like what we talked about before, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend like no digital media because you can't handle it because they're going to live in a world that yeah. is increasingly digital. And so what I would say is that same principle of increase the frequency, but decrease the duration and intensity. Right. And so rather than giving them a full hour of super high stim digital media, mm-hmm. give them chunks of 10 minutes of lower stim digital right. media to allow them to ramp up and calm down. And you'll actually use that to build capacity in them mm-hmm. rather than just avoiding this, this thing that they're going to need to learn to do over time. Right. Like the ex- same thing with like the exposure, right? It's you're exposing it to them so they can get used to that and get their, get, get their brain used to that stimulus. Just like with, with anxiety and something they're worried about if you, if you, expose them to it over and over again, their brain will eventually get used to it being there. It'll be okay. Yeah. So that was really awesome getting to talk to you and, and talk about all that stuff. Cause as I said, I, I love delving into this stuff and um, you've been immersed in it for so long now and have so much experience. It's just really cool getting to talk to you about it. And uh, yeah, I love talking about it. Just hearing the stuff that you talk about helps re reestablish those thoughts in in my mind of like yes things are going well and things will be well and the families that are having hard times to um having them be able to listen to this and reestablish that like these are things you can do you are doing well you know all those things because it can be scary and worrisome for parents going am i doing this right are they going to be okay because they usually have suffered from anxiety themselves when yeah in the past too so yeah especially for boys giving them those tools to manage the more vulnerable emotions it's it's interesting how you know our societal roles overlap with the emotions that are difficult for for different genders sometimes to experience right yeah I, i find it funny that you know boys it's so okay to be angry but now in society we've got this you know, we previously have the B word, but now we have the Karen word. Right, um, I know. <laughs> used like, to describe please. any form of assertive or angry yeah. female. And so they're not justified in it. it. No. So it's so interesting. Whereas men, you know, we, rather than that, you know, we also call them the B word, but to say that they're less yeah. than man uh, yeah. when they're afraid of something or when they're yeah. sad, right? Yeah. And yeah, it's just interesting how we kind of, gatekeep the societal role you know suck it up don't cry you're okay all those things right and I've always taught my kids and like no cry cry as much as you need to cry yeah do it but but they'll never see they won't see an action star on any of the popular movies crying ever they'll they'll see them angry and that's totally Mm -hmm. okay because their whole family's been murdered and now they're our hero because they're fighting back right exactly Yeah, (laughs) I know this toxic masculinity. So I thank you so much for for agreeing to come on and talking to me. It's been a pleasure getting to talk to you again. Yeah, you as well. So ends our series on childhood anxiety. I hope you've enjoyed this series and that you have gotten lots of great information about childhood anxiety and how how the brain works and all those wonderful things. And that you've gotten some great information that you can now take to your families and utilize for yourselves and your children. 
Till next time! Riding the Waves of Life is funded by the Public Health Agency of Canada and provided through Boundary Family Services. All podcast equipment was provided through a grant from the Phoenix Foundation. Thank you.